Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations, whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou dost succeed them, and dwell in their cities and in their houses, too, thou shalt separate three cities for three in the midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. These are going to be the three cities of refuge where you run if you have killed somebody by accident. It's like a safe zone that you can run to so that the avenger of blood can't kill you once you reach there. And then you wait there for your trial. And then after your trial, if it's discovered that you were innocent of murder, then you get to remain in the city until the high priest dies. The manslayer can't kill you unless you leave the city on purpose. But if you're found guilty, then they kick you out of the city of refuge. They won't let you stay there because you have to take your punishment, which is probably getting stoned. Now, the reason they're only picking three is because God had called them to pick six, but they already have three in the land just southwest of Canaan, where the Reubenites and the Gadites and the Benjamites are living. Three have already been picked, so they only have to pick three more when they get into Canaan. Three, thou shalt prepare thee the way, and divide the borders of thy land, which the Lord thy God causeth thee to inherit, into three parts, that every manslayer may flee thither. So a manslayer is somebody who kills by accident. 4. And this is the case of the manslayer, that flee thither and live, whoso killeth his neighbor unawares, and hateth him not in time past. Meaning, you didn't hate your neighbor before they died. You had no ill intention toward them, and you didn't know that they were going to die by your actions. 5. As when a man goeth into the forest with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee unto one of these cities and live. That's a pretty good example, because in that case, all you were doing was swinging the axe to chop the tree, but the head was loose from the helve, and by centrifugal force, the head came off and hit your neighbor. 6. Lest the avenger of blood pursue the manslayer, while his heart is hot, and overtake him, because the way is long, and smite him mortally, whereas he was not deserving of death, inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. The Bible keeps emphasizing that you didn't hate the person who died, and this is evidence in your favor, the fact that you had nothing against the person who died. Because God knows that if you didn't hate him in any way, you didn't want him to die. Notice how it said that the avenger of blood is hot with anger. And that's because the avenger of blood is hired or not hired from the family of the victim, meaning that they are related to the victim. So they want vengeance. 7. Wherefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee. 8. And if the Lord thy God enlarge thy border as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, and give thee all the land which he promised to give unto thy fathers. 9. If thou shalt keep all this commandment to do it, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God, and to walk ever in his ways, then shalt thou add three cities more for thee beside these three. Moses is saying, if God enlarges your borders even more, you'll need nine cities of refuge total. Today, Israel has actually shrunk rather than been enlarged. And that's because of the sins of Israel. They won't receive Jesus as their Messiah. But one day they will. The Bible prophesies that when he returns, they will receive him. When Jesus returns and they receive him, then their border will enlarge back to what it originally was meant to be, and Israel will be bigger, much bigger, because they'll get all that land back that they had lost through sin. 10. 
that innocent blood be not shed in the midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. God doesn't want a manslayer to be put to death by the avenger of blood if they're innocent. He doesn't want an innocent person killed. 11. But if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and he flee into one of these cities. 12. Then the elder of his city shall send and fetch him thence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Because some people who are guilty, and actually were lying in wait, which is a crime, because it's premeditated. If you premeditated to kill somebody, and then you kill them, and pretend that you're innocent, and go to the city of refuge, after your trial shows that you're guilty, then they kick you out of that city and give you to the avenger of blood. 13. Thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the blood of the innocent from Israel, that it may go well with thee. God is saying, don't feel sorry for a murderer. He needs to be put to death so that you don't have blood on the hands of the nation. God does believe in the death penalty, but remember, this is the old covenant. In the new covenant, God will forgive a murderer because Paul was a murderer. Paul was probably the greatest or one of the greatest apostles because of all the letters he wrote and all of his travels and all of his sufferings. But he originally was a murderer. He orchestrated and facilitated the murder of Christians. But God forgave him and didn't require that he was put to death because of the blood of Jesus Christ, which changes us. 14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess. It's a sin to move a landmark and try to make it look like it's your land when it's not. And many people have done this. Corporations have done it. Civil governments have done it. And neighbors have done it to each other. And this is a sin. This is a form of stealing. 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin and any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall a matter be established. You need a minimum of two witnesses to speak against somebody. Otherwise, it's considered malicious gossip. There has to be two eyewitnesses of what happened. 16. If an unrighteous witness rise up against any man to bear perverted witness against him, which means lying, perjury. 17. Then both the men, between whom the controversy is, shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges that shall be in those days. Say, one man is accusing another man of a crime, and there's no other witness, and each man is disagreeing. So you know one of them has to be lying, because they're both saying the opposite thing. Then they both stand up between the priest and the judges. 18. And the judges shall inquire diligently, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, 19. Then shall ye do unto him as he had purposed to do unto his brother, so shalt thou put away the evil from the midst of thee. Inquiring diligently, usually that means that they ask the Lord, but in this case it means that they interrogate the witness to find out if the witness is telling the truth. Because it's really easy to tell if somebody's lying when you interrogate them. You ask a series of questions to catch them changing their story or contradicting themselves and to look at their body language, it becomes real obvious if they're actually lying. And also to see if any of the details makes no sense. 
And then if it turns out that the witness was lying, they get the punishment that they had intended on the other. So say if somebody accuses another person of murder, that means that they want that person killed because if you are found guilty of murder, you'll get stoned, which means that if the witness is found guilty of perjury, the witness gets stoned. Or say the witness claimed that the other person stole, and so the punishment might be having their hand cut off. If the witness is found guilty, then the witness will get their own hand cut off. They only get the punishment that they were trying to have inflicted on the other person. They don't get a greater punishment. 20. And those that remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil in the midst of thee. The liar will be an example to the whole community and then other people next week won't start telling lies. Because if the liar gets away with it and doesn't get punished, then other people in the community will think that they can get away with telling lies. 21. And thine eye shall not pity him, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Don't pity the liar, the perjurer. They have to be punished in order to save the community so that other people don't copycat them. If their lie would have caused the innocent person to die, then they have to die. If their lie would have caused the innocent person to get a tooth knocked out, their tooth has to be knocked out, and so forth. Some people claim that this means God is cruel, but it doesn't. What he's saying is the punishment has to be equal and limited to the crime. If the perjurer's lie would have had somebody to only have their tooth knocked out, you cannot stone the perjurer to death because that's too great of a punishment for their crime. God is limiting the punishment to appropriate punishment for the crime. This is actually merciful of God, not hateful. And that concludes Deuteronomy chapter 19.